Authors Over 50, Writing in Life's Sweetest Third. Authors Over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication. Writing after 50 is a whole story on its own, so let's skip to Life's Sweetest Third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish. Welcome, I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career and publishing their first book after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. My guest today is the author of the debut memoir, Disassembly Required, a memoir of midlife resurrection, a story about beginning again after the American dream implodes. The book was excerpted by AARP Magazine, nominated for Georgia Author of the Year, and a June 2022 pick by the International Pupwood Queens, a former entertainment attorney in New York City. She has written for the nation's top publications, including the New York Times, USA Today, the Washington Post, the New York Daily News, and many more. She also gave a popular TEDx talk entitled How to Begin Again. She now makes her home in one of my favorite cities, Savannah, Georgia. Welcome to Authors Over 50, Beverly Willett. Thank you, Julia. I'm so happy to be here. And I just want to say congratulations to you because I know this podcast just got a very exciting award. So congratulations and thanks for having me. Thank you, Beverly. That award is due to the fascinating authors I'm interviewing every day, just like you. Thank you. Beverly, our opening question on authors over 50 is always, what took you so long to write your first book? Well, actually, the one that got published wasn't my first. I, had a, I have, still have a couple in the drawer that might come out again. Um, but I was living other lives before now. I, as you said, I was an attorney for many years, um, had children to raise. Then I went through a very terrible divorce and was sort of busy being a single mom and keeping everything together. And then I would have to say, too, um, you know, it took a while to get published, but I was paying my dues as a writer. Um, and I just, you know, I thought I as a lawyer, you write in a certain way. And I took some courses and really had to rethink um, about writing commercially because it's a completely different style of writing. So I was learning my craft and also, I think, just paying my dues and uh, building up to the courage to write something big instead of something small. Well, I hear that from a lot of people. I've interviewed a lot of doctors and attorneys who are now writing in retirement and and they say the same thing. So I think it does take us time to to learn the craft. I had to learn fiction after being in public relations and marketing for most of my life. 
Once you wrote this book, how did you proceed? Did you search for an agent, decide to use a hybrid, a small press, or did you self-publish? Well, I did uh, commercially publish with a mid-sized publisher. I did have an agent very early on prior to this book. And that's a whole long story. And then we we parted ways at some point. Um, and I didn't even know I was writing this book. So um, I started writing this book. And then I went out to look for agents. So I was I was I was getting a lot of reads, but I was also at the time people were saying memoir is really hard. And you know, and what's your what's your track record and how many Twitter followers do you have? And and your book doesn't have sex, drugs, and rock and roll in it. Um, I mean, literally, I was I was getting rejections that said, we love it. You're a very good writer, um, but it doesn't have that. And so marketing became an issue in the minds of certain people. And so I was sort of figuring out, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to get this book out there? And then my mother died. So that sort of put things sort of in a holding pattern because I was grieving. I was I was, you know, I cleaned out my own house and then I was cleaning out hers. So I sort of came back to the book after that and said, well, okay, I'm going to start looking for an agent again. At the same time, I had a friend uh, who was an author and she said, well, you know, my publisher, this mid-sized publisher, will look at a book if it's through an introduction without an agent. Would you like for me to send it to them? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> so at that point, they liked the book and I thought, well, I am over 50 and I'm just going to, this is, a, I'm being, being given a yes. And I felt like that was, you know, I wanted to accept that. Yes. I felt very grateful for that. Yes. And so I, I went, went with them and it was published in uh, July of 2019. Well, that happens to so many of us. So many of us don't want to wait two or three years to get an agent and then two or three years to get published. And, and I've heard from so many who wrote their first book and then became quite prolific after that. So there are a lot of books in a lot of us. But I want to know about this title. I love your title, Disassembly Required. What was your inspiration for the title and the story? Well, thank you for that. And, you know, I was really when I it was really fun getting the book published, looking at the cover and everything. And I and I thought to myself, OK, when am, when am I going to have the conversation with my publisher about the title? Because I had read that publishers usually change the title and they hadn't brought that up. And I thought so I finally asked them and they said, oh, no, we love the title. And I was completely shocked. But, you know, to me, I was I went through, you know, the list. We make the list as writers, the hundreds of things and we just go through them. And I was thinking of what what was counterintuitive. I was thinking, you know, you hear assembly required. That's kind of like a buzz phrase. And all of a sudden the light bulb went went off because I realized that my story was about starting over. And in order to start over, in order to grieve uh, the losses that I really had not grieved, sort of the loss of the American dream, the, the family as I knew it, my marriage, my youth, my old career, all of it. And, and finally, the loss of my house. I was really going through a grieving process. And in order to do that, I was sort of having a life review where I looked at everything in my life. I looked at my whole history because my house was filled with everything from my history, my children's history, 
uh, people who had bought the house before us. I mean, the stuff I had to clean out was incredible. It was just four stories and a cellar. So I really was sort of taking everything apart and looking at it and coming to terms with the losses. And then also friends kept saying, oh, this is great. You're going to be able to reclaim your life. Well, my life up until that point, for, for many years, my life had re revolved around being a mother. So my second child was going off to college. So I was having an empty nest. I wouldn't be a mother full time anymore. My marriage had ended. I was no longer a wife. I was no longer a lawyer. That career had ended and I really didn't even want it back. So, so many things um, that had defined me in the past no longer really defined me. So I started thinking, well, who am I? I mean, it was, it was, it was a, it was a strange question, but my friends had said, you can reclaim your life. And so I just, I just trusted that I needed to look at everything and that, and make peace with it and that the answers would come. And I, and I found out through that whole process that I, that, that, I found out the woman I was before I started putting on all the layers that I had lived with for so long. I peeled them back. I found out I was who I had always been, but I, I hadn't really recognized myself in a while. And part of that was actually wanting to be a writer. And that was the biggest revelation to me because I had been writing and building a career, but to find the evidence in my home, in, in a box that I had always wanted to be a writer just absolutely blew my mind. And, and just, it still gives me chills when I remember that. So that's, I just think disassembly required. It was something I had to do and that just fit what I had done. So you really deconstructed your life and, and found out what was most important to you and, and becoming yeah. you again. That's exactly right. I deconstructed and through the process of decluttering, <laughs> I like to say, because that's what I was doing at the same time, giving stuff away. I mean, just getting rid of three quarters of my possessions I got rid of. And it was just so I thought, oh, this is really going to be so hard and take me down. And it took me a while to sort of get my courage under that because it was hard. And once I started to do it, I started feeling lighter through that whole process. I think it's very freeing to get rid of stuff. <laughs> oh, I'm just, my birthday's coming up and I told my friends, don't bring me any presents. <laughs> I don't need stuff. Well, you have certainly written for some very impressive publications. Did you write on these particular topics that you're discussing now? I guess for the most part, I've written a lot um, in this area. I'm trying to think, um, I mean, re related topics um, for USA Today, related topics. But I did write an article for them, um, more of a lawyer kind of justice article. And so I've written, I've written um, things like that. I just actually, um, I just, I'm a new Catholic and I, and I wrote something about my religion for New York Daily News. So I, I do write in other areas where I have some familiarity, some uh, connection with it. 
So, you know, but, but primarily a lot in this, in this area, but I, but I have branched out and I am continuing to branch out. How did publishing your first book change your process of writing or did it? Aside from the fact what I mentioned before, having to sort of unlearn all the things that I learned as a lawyer, like don't use the contraction. I mean, we'd never use a contraction in a brief. You would never, you'd always write in, in full, complete sentences. So I had to, I guess my writing process changed to the extent that my writing process as a lawyer changed. So that's that's one thing. Um, but otherwise, um, you know, I've always been a real sort of real disciplined person. So I think I've still had the discipline. Now I really do try and carve out Monday to Friday and, and really think in my head more, I am a writer. Um, and and this is my job. And so I, I tend not to do a lot of playing and socializing, you know, during those kind of work hours. And so that has changed a little bit, I would say. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the passages you've brought to share today and then read a few paragraphs for us so that we can hear your tone and voice. Okay, thank you. So. I guess, you know, you, you, in the introduction, you talked about the fact that the American dream imploded, which, which is really true. I was raised on the American dream and achieved the American dream and, and things were not, I mean, things were not perfect. They're never perfect, but I thought things were pretty good before they all imploded. So this is, um, this passage is, I'm going to read two, just two small passages. This passage, I would say, is was the catalyst. This was like the big bang in my life when literally everything started crumbling. It's sort of like the dividing line between my life before and the picking up the pieces after. Um, and this was actually exactly 20 years ago. Um, I um, My ex had been out late. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. And I was worried when he hadn't come home until after midnight. So I'll start reading now. I'd phoned the salon where he told me he was going for a massage after work, but they said he'd never shown up. When he got home, he refused to tell me where he'd been. Restless, I awoke early, the house quiet, my husband and children still slumbering. As I walked downstairs, my eyes were drawn to his brown suede jacket in the vestibule. Feeling like a thief, I reached inside the pockets drew out Jake's cell phone and carried it into the kitchen, shaking. I brewed a pot of coffee, conscious to place a moment between what I feared might be on that phone and whatever came next. And then I sat down at the kitchen table, picked up Jake's cell phone and perked up my ears to hear if my powering it on had woken anybody up. My husband and I had problems in our marriage, but we'd worked through so many of them, or so I believed. I hadn't dreamed he was having an affair. And uh, I'll just skip a little bit. He'd only saved two numbers, one for his brother and another for this mysterious woman. He hadn't created password protection, so I scrolled to voicemail. Instantly, I heard a woman's voice I'd never heard. The same voice, breathless, caressing, almost panting at times, repeated itself over and over as I paged forward. I love you. Call me at home. 
Not sure what time it is, the voice said. My hand trembled. I grabbed a pen and straight envelope and copied down snippets as fast as I could, writing the words down to keep a heartbeat's distance away from falling apart. I love you with all my heart. I inhaled my tears and stuffed my wails inside so the children one floor above wouldn't hear. Hey, sweetie, me. Want to come over and have a little time to be private instead of meeting at the office, the voice continued. Fear exploded in my chest. I couldn't swallow. I wanted to bolt the doors and keep my family in suspended animation, safe and rolled up in their covers until I could figure out what to do next. Wow, Beverly, you hit us with a heart <laughs> heartbreaking moment. So I started going on a lot of retreats and they were very, very helpful because they just, um, I studied meditation. It was a time where I could just get away and think. <laughs> um, and this is, this is, this is one that was early on when I started playing with the question of, well, who am I? You know, and my friends said, you're going to reclaim your life. And so I said, I had written these words down. Who is Beverly? Um, I'd written those words down after reading the famous prayer of Trappist monk Thomas Merton again, the prayer in which he told God he had no idea where he was going and could not see in front of him. Peel back the layers, declutter myself. My ex-husband's infidelity had cut me to the quick. I'd lost not only trust, but felt I no longer knew who I was. Be still, my priest said when I asked for his advice. So I went, I went to this abbey. While there, I wandered through the library, my fingers landing randomly on spines of books, including Becoming a Writer by Dorothea Brand. And then after I opened the cover, this quote, I hope this book persuades some who are hesitating on the verge of abandoning writing to make a different decision. I'd been struggling with that again a year after the divorce judgment. Later that day, I spoke with Brother Renee. He'd introduced me to the rosary um, in the chapel outside the church one day. I told him I'd seen the name Willet on so many tombstones during my drives in Kentucky. Then you must be from Maryland, he said. Apparently, Willets from Maryland had fled to Kentucky because of religious persecution. So what do you do, Brother Renee asked. I'm a former lawyer, I said, a profession long gone, as if mother or writer wasn't enough. So you must be a writer now, Brother Renee said. Whoa. How did he know? <laughs> and yeah. then validation. So there were there were other moments like that throughout this whole process when it just became clearer and clearer that it is who I was and who I'd always wanted to be. Well, I love when we have clear signs. You had several signposts along the way. It's not always clear when you're a writer, that's for sure. But but these these were pretty clear, but some days are pretty muddy. <laughs> Beverly, what does your family think of your memoir? Sometimes families are are not so keen on having secrets come out in in book form. <laughs> well, um, certain ones I have no idea because they've never said anything, so I don't know. But, you know, this mostly, um, you know, there's not a lot in here about my family except for my ex and my two daughters. I would say those are, you know, there's certainly a lot in here about friends. Um, but 
but most of my daughters are very proud of me. I should just say my daughters are very proud of me. Um, but yeah, obviously it was a very difficult divorce. It was a very bad divorce. Um, and, um, so I don't, you know, I want them to love their dad. They have a good relationship with their dad. And so I just want to keep that. So we don't, we don't discuss some of, some of the things, but I should say that in writing this memoir, you know, there was plenty of backstory to fill another whole book. And I only chose the backstory that I felt was necessary in order to tell my story of healing. So this really, I think, is my story. It's my story of how I healed. And I told enough for the for readers to know what had happened, where I was, and what was the catalyst and, and what were my heartaches. But the story really is focused on me. And I and I tried when I did my edits and everything to make sure that I always came back to what was the story that I was trying to tell um, and what was what's the what was the focus of that? And I and I think in doing that, that 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 I've written something that, you know, that I'm happy and happy with and, and proud of um, that, you know, doesn't doesn't trash anybody. <laughs> Just, you know, to be honest, I mean, I, I don't think that it does, you know, um, so. And certainly there are a lot of my shortcomings in there. Well, they say to write memoir and to make it uh, important to others, it has to have universal truths in it. And I think you've already t touched on some topics today in your memoir that are universal to many of us. Thank you. Well, you know, I it, it I don't see it just as a divorce memoir because there were many other losses that I was going through in in and also just making um, peace with the fact that I had grown older and that I was an older author starting this this career, you know, over the age of 50. So there were there there were a lot of a lot of things in there in terms of regret and losses that that have a broader application, I think. I think that's so true. And I think that there's so many of us who waited until later in life to write. And so many of us think, well, I wish I'd started sooner, but it wouldn't have been the same story. You know, we right. wouldn't have been the same authors. We wouldn't have been able to, to have that hindsight that we now have. I mean, I think that's true. When I, when I first started out actually writing and taking some courses, uh, I was still married and I started writing a few parenting articles and that was what I was doing. And so that was what was close to me. And, and I felt okay with that, but for some reason I felt like I just don't see this as my career writing parenting articles. Um, and so, you know, I can laugh now because this really horrendous thing <laughs> gave me something powerful to write about um, and a way to connect with people that I would have never connected with people that that write to me now and say thank you because I see myself in your words and so I think that it gave me a purpose that I never imagined through it through a hardship and I think sometimes those hardships do open the floodgates for us to be able to access our emotions and to be able to write those things that we never thought that we would before. I'm always interested in publicity efforts. 
what have you done to promote this book? You know, there's so many of us who would rather be writing than promoting ourselves. Have you found anything that's worked for you? Well, I'll tell you, this was, this was a hard, um, it was, it was, it, it feels like it's my promotion has been sort of, um, stopped and started because the month before my book came out, I was in a near fatal accident. So I, I, that happened. Then I had surgery, then COVID hit, then I got breast cancer. Okay. So that's just, okay. That's just, so that's just, okay. Um, so I feel like I haven't had a normal kind of, if there's a normal year of publication and that now I'm starting, you know, I, I applied to, it came out in 2019, but I applied to the, the Pulpwood Queens and they selected me for 2022. So I feel like I'm, I'm kind of going back out there again. Um, and, and, and I, and I have had a lot of podcasts. I mean, I do write articles. I mean, that's one thing that I, that I have done a lot of and that I continue to do is to write articles to get out there, to make connections with writers, to do all my research about podcasts and, and, and website, divorce websites and, you know, people over 50 talking to authors. So it's just a hodgepodge of all of that and, and trying to figure it out as I go along, I think I would not have spent as much money as I did on publicity because it just didn't, I've done most of it myself. I think that next time I will hire someone young and local who knows who's a crackerjack at social media. <laughs> and I think, so that would be one thing I would say that, that I would do differently um, with the next book. Well, you certainly have a lot of fodder after the year that you've had after a couple of years. Do you have any other books in you? Oh, yes. So I, I, during the COVID period, when I was, when I was, uh, you know, laid up at home and then going through this other health thing, I, I had a dream. I mean, I, it's, it's weird because I'm writing fiction now. So both of my daughters, one is a lawyer and one is going to be a lawyer, and I was a lawyer. So it was totally shocked to me that they wanted to go into the legal profession. And I, so I was really excited because I got to talk to them again about the law and, you know, and then I started remembering things and remembering things that I loved about the law. And so I just, I had this dream and I started imagining this young lawyer. She's not me and she's not my daughters, but she is set in New York City. She's a young millennial lawyer at a big firm. And I have had experience at big firms. And I wanted to really see um, and explore what's it like for a young lawyer in the cutthroat profession of Manhattan law today who is, is trying to make it. She's also trying to figure out what she really wants. She's in a relationship. And I, and I started realizing that women, young women who want the career and relationship, they're juggling all the things that I used to think about 30 years ago when I was a young lawyer, that some things have changed, but a lot of things haven't. So I, I was excited because I guess of, of my daughters thinking about the law again, I wanted to explore all this 
and within the context, I won't, I won't give it away, but within the context of a case that she gets that she does not want, but it changes her life. It changes her focus. It changes her thoughts about what she wants to do. And so within the context of her life and all these other things going on and, and an evil partner who's out to thwart her, of course. So yes, so I have another book and I finished it and I'm now going out um, looking for an agent or if that doesn't happen, another opportunity. So I'm, I'm right in the trenches with that. And I see that she's not done. So I have an idea for the next book with this character. Well, they say a series is what we all need to start making any money in this industry. And I hadn't even thought about that. Like, you know, I'm going to do this and do a series. It just, it just came to me. And then I would hear um, fiction writers talk about the lives of these characters and how they literally like were following them around. And I used to think this was kind of like, like kind of, you know, weird stuff, you know, magical thinking or something. And then it happened to me and I'm like living with her. And so her name is Jessie. I'll just tell her her name is Jessie. And um, yeah, I just feel like, you know, and she's not done. She's like in my brain all the time. So I'm having tremendous fun with fiction. Well, they do get into your head. And if you love this character and her story's not finished in one, you need to take it out to at least three. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what do you think was the best money you've ever spent as a writer? I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, and I, and I thought, you know, I can, I can tend to be serious at times since I was a lawyer, but the, the, the real truth is the present I bought myself when I got my publishing deal. And since I've had so many knee operations, I can't wear high heels anymore. I bought myself a pair of black velvet sparkly boots as my present to myself when I got my publishing deal. So, and I wear them, I rock those boots. Well, those no have regrets. become your, your good luck charm. Now you can wear them and write about Jessie. <laughs> and she wears high heels because I want to wear high heels. So I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm living through her again. <laughs> Well, Beverly, as always, our last interview question is, our writers over 50 are a unique set. Do you have advice for writers 50 and above? Um, well, I mean, I guess I would say, you know, if you haven't started, start, because the time is now. Just go for it. And I would always also say this, this may sound like it's the opposite or a little counterintuitive, but we know that our culture is so focused on youth and we can intellectually convince ourselves that it doesn't make a difference and all that. Right. But we're assaulted with, you know, the youth culture and all this stuff all the time. So it really, you know, it's something that's still there. So I, I would say, I mean, one trick or hack that I have is I think of myself as having started at 40 and not at 50. 
because I have so much time not to waste, but I just feels nice to have this open, you know, time. My, my grandmother was 87 when she died and she always told me she was 39. I never knew how old she was until after she died. And so it's kind of like rocking my grandmother. Uh, think of yourself as 40, you know, don't let all of that stuff get in your head and get in your way. And then I guess the last thing I would say is that something that I've had to do, and that is start to think about success in a different way. Um, you know, I, I'm still not, you know, earning a living as a writer. And I hope that, that someday that that's, that's part of my success, but the, the chances that we're going to have the bestseller and be famous, if that's our goal, it's not mine, um, is very, very slim. So don't, don't even think about that because you're going to set yourself up. So think of success, you know, as earning a living, yes, but also in terms of doing the best work you can. So when I write an article or something and I send it out and I work hard and hard and hard and I just know it's not right and then I keep doing it and I get to that little sweet spot where I know it's my best product and I know it it uses the words that are in my heart. I have finally put them on paper. That's success for me. That is, that is total success. Um, and the other thing that's total success for me is knowing I've connected with a reader, knowing I've helped someone else, knowing that someone else says, I, I thank you for that. Those, that's success. So I would say, remember to, co to connect with those successes because, because they're so important to keep you going and encourage you. I certainly agree. I think my greatest success came when one of my granddaughters chose my book to take to school and tell everyone that her grandmother wrote that book and she chose it to read as one of their selected works at school. So I thought that's, that's a success that right there. That is amazing. So I think we're leaving legacies wow. for our children and showing them that we can reinvent ourselves. And I'm interviewing people in their seventies, eighties, and nineties who are still writing beautiful work. So I agree with you. We just need to keep a, a young mindset and continue to write. So we just thank you so much for being with us today. And we're happy to say that you're now counted among our authors over 50. Thank you so much, Julia. Thank you for joining us today. Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend. And check out my own publication journey after 50 at www.juliadaily, that's D-A-I-L-Y, like dailynewspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third.